Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Written in Blood History, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. This almost episode is a quick hitter, but I put it on the docket for today because I figured doing another outlaw, but on the opposite end of the world, would be really cool. And so we're going to jump right into it with Madam Ching, the terror of the South China Sea. Towards the end of the 18th century, on the coasts of Canton, China, there was a certain prostitute plying her trade, and her birth name is up for debate, but she would go down in history as Madam Ching, or Ching Shi, which translates to Widow of Ching. You'll find out how she came to be a widow here in the next few moments. During this period of Chinese maritime history, there were floating brothels that operated just off the coasts, and many of the seafaring Chinese Navy men kept this illicit business booming. But these floating brothels were also frequented by pirates. Chinese piracy, like much of Chinese culture, was steeped in family history. One pirate in particular came from a long line of hereditary pirates stretching back for nearly 200 years. His name was Cheng. Now, aside from piracy being something of a family business, there's another distinction that Chinese piracy has from Western piracy. We're not talking about a ship or two with a few dozen men. No, Cheng commanded thousands, tens of thousands of men, and many hundreds of ships. His piracy operation was so massive that his armada had to be separated into a few distinct fleets to properly command such a force. He personally oversaw the Red Fleet, and each one had its own color. Now, there's not a lot of actual historical evidence to go off of here, so we're kind of in the realm of hearsay, but the story is Cheng of the Red Fleet became enamored with the beauty of a certain Cantonese prostitute on a floating brothel. And you guessed it, she was the soon-to-be widow of Ching. So when a pirate wants something, or someone, he naturally just takes it. And Ching allegedly sent his men to raid the floating brothel and bring him Madam Ching. The men did as they were told, and upon their meeting, Chang told Ching Shi that he wished for her to be his wife. And she said she would, but with one condition that she be co-ruler over his piracy operations with him. And Chang agreed, and the two outlaws tied the knot in 1801. She soon proved to be a shrewd pirate and a skillful businesswoman. The pair's power and influence among the high seas grew and solidified, and likewise did their list of enemies. At the peak of their power together, they allegedly controlled 2,000 ships and 70,000 men separated into six distinct fleets. They were something like a floating nation by this point. During this time, they adopted a son by the name of Cheng Po, who was actually closer to an adult at the time, so think of it more like the ancient Roman style of adoption where they're actually just choosing an heir, more or less. And it was a good thing, too, because on November 16th, 1807, Cheng died, and some say in Vietnam. Again, various accounts say various things, but some say he was murdered, some say he was killed by a tsunami. Honestly, for a pirate, both are equally plausible. Madam Ching, upon her husband's death, and being the shrewd businesswoman that she was, did a couple of things. She first sought the loyalty of her subordinates to ensure that they would be just as loyal to her as they were to her husband. Then, she engaged in a mm, intimate relationship with her stepson, Chang Po. This bizarre twist, to me, I sort of view as an insurance policy in case she lost control of the fleet. He was next in line to this armada. However the particulars played out, within two years, Madam Ching was in full control of the pirate empire forged by her late husband. 
With her rule solidified, Madam Ching decided the Pirate's Code needed a bit of an update, so a few new rules were implemented and enforced with a zero-tolerance policy. No one could give orders but Madam Ching, and anyone caught giving their own orders was immediately beheaded. Villages and people that aided the pirates were off-limits for plunder, no exceptions. Booty was recorded under strict bookkeeping practices. Everyone got their share, and a certain percentage was distributed into the general fund. Every dollar was accounted for. Female captives were to be released, unless a pirate decided that the captive was beautiful enough to actually take as a wife. However, if they did marry their captive, they were required to be faithful to her. If the pirate committed rape, he was killed on the spot. If he had consensual sex with a female captive, he was beheaded and then the woman was tied to a cannonball and thrown overboard. Deserters had their ears chopped off, and code violators of anything else were either flogged at best or simply tossed overboard. The result of Madam Ching's organization and ruthless adherence to her code produced nothing short of a very serious and professional piracy operation. Her power and influence grew to such an extent that entire coastal villages began falling to her forces, and instead of paying taxes to the Chinese government, they were now paying taxes to Madam Ching directly. By 1808, the Chinese government had had enough of losing tax revenue to Madam Ching, and so they put to sail various fleets of their own navy and engaged the famed pirate. But they were no match for her fleet's discipline and skill on the high seas, and she annihilated them in every battle and either sunk all of their attacking ships or captured them, adding yet more vessels to her already massive navy. The Chinese had lost so many ships to her that they had to resort to commandeering fishing vessels just to stay at sea and in the fight. Where they did have success, however, was in paying rival pirate fleets to go on the offensive against Madame Ching. And finally, the combination of government and pseudo-government-sponsored pirates became too much to endure, and so her Red Fleet fled the coast for the open ocean. By 1809, Madame Ching had made serious international enemies as well. She had decimated the East India Company, capturing many of its ships and sailors. But a more precarious enemy was the Portuguese Navy. This formidable imperial naval force put unrelenting pressure on Madame Ching and forced her to engage in many battles that didn't end well for her pirates. In 1810, there was a naval battle that I'm probably going to mispronounce, but the best I can do is check lap cock. Madame Ching surrendered to the Portuguese. But as we've seen with Madame Ching, she is shrewd and calculating in everything she does. And she negotiated that in exchange for her surrender, that she would end her piracy career and not only be allowed to keep her freedom, but her riches as well. She was also allowed to keep around 120 ships for use in the salt trade so she could continue to make a living. And her stepson with benefits, Chang Po, was given a place of prominence in the Chinese bureaucracy. In 1822, Madame Ching moved to Macau, China, and opened a gambling house, and even went on to serve as an advisor to the Chinese government in the First Opium War. And finally, in 1844, at the age of 69, Madame Ching Shi, the infamous prostitute-turned-pirate who commanded 70,000 outlaws and owned the Chinese Pacific, died peacefully in her home with her family at her bedside. There is obviously a lot more information that can be recorded about Madame Ching. Down the road, I would love to do an extended episode on her. But for now, the Almost episode is going to have to suffice. 
If you did enjoy it, I would really appreciate a rating or review wherever you listen. As you've heard me say before, those ratings and reviews, they help with the algorithms that none of us understand, but all of us podcasters know that they help us get to the top of these rankings on Apple and Spotify and whatnot. So if you have time, I would really appreciate it. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you know I have a Patreon account. And for all of you who are patrons, thank you, thank you, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. That really means a lot to me. If you'd like to become a patron, you can head over to patreon.com slash writteninbloodhistory, and there you'll see the options to sign up. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach me on Twitter. My handle is at sdejulius. My email is stephen.dejulius at gmail.com. Look us up on Facebook. You can send me a message on Facebook. I'm very responsive there as well. And so this has been an almost episode by Written in Blood History, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. And we'll see you guys in a couple weeks. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains... We'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting, and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.